Greetings, soul sisters, spiritual brethren, and non-binary siblings. This is the Queer Ritual Podcast, a place to discuss healing, spiritual practices, guided meditations, and self-empowerment with a queer-minded focus. Allies are welcome, too. I'm your host, Ricky B. Malone. My pronouns are he, they. I'm a Reiki master, intuitive healer, and master esthetician based out of the East Coast of the U.S. My goal with this podcast is to empower others to discover their true selves and live the lives they truly want. Hello, everyone. Hope you are well. I haven't done a purely spirituality episode in a while, so let's get back to the roots of this podcast. I know sometimes my episodes are more about personal development or psychology, or sometimes they're on uh, social sciences or neuroscience, and it's just because my interests are varied and this podcast is going to be varied. But I do want to get back to just a purely spiritual episode because I haven't done one in a while. So today I'm going to talk on the concept of how everything is borrowed. So this concept of everything is borrowed comes from Buddhist philosophy, but it is also shared in the other Dharmic or Eastern religions too. And in a nutshell, it's just basically that nothing is truly ours, that we always give it back to where we got it. If you've ever had to go through someone's possessions after they died, you can see just how much stuff people accumulate in their lifetimes. You know, everything they've ever bought or made is amassed in their house or wherever, or storage locker, or what have you. But even material wealth, too. It's like you, if you didn't spend it all while you're alive, you got to bequeath it to the next generation or to someone. Because it's got to go somewhere. It's not truly yours and you don't take it with you. And that's why, you know, you have to write your last will and testament or create a trust for your loved ones or, you know, create a legal estate, etc. It's because the day comes where all those things that you think you own are no longer yours and you have to give them to somebody else. But it isn't just the stuff that we own, it's also even our bodies. Every cell in our bodies is borrowed. You know, you start off as a clump of cells inside your mother's uterus and over nine months, she slowly nourishes your, your body and you grow through the food that she eats or even leaching it out of her bones. And once you reach a large enough size, you then leave your mother's womb and then you eat and consume and you grow. But then inevitably, the day comes where your body ages and it breaks down and it no longer functions. And then your body is just a body. You've died and those cells have to go somewhere too. You know, our bodies are in a constant state of flux. Every cell in our body has a lifespan and then it uh, it gets duplicated and replaced. So our bodies are kind of like the sheep of Theseus metaphor in Greek philosophy, that there isn't really one body. What makes you, you? 
it's constantly changing. You know, just look at a photo of yourself from 10 years ago and you don't look the same, right? These things are constantly changing. And inevitably, you know, we return from whence we came, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And that sense of ownership that like, I am my body, it's an illusion. You inhabit your body, but you are not your body. Your body is something you inhabit. It is not you. Now, this concept goes beyond just, you know, you and your possessions. It includes the entire planet. We inherit the planet from the people who came before us. And then we are stewards of the planet over our lifetimes. And then hopefully we give the planet to the next generation in a better state than we inherited it. The way things have been going lately, I don't think that's true. I think we have been damaging the planet and leaving it in a worse state than we inherited it. But the day comes where we have to hand the planet to the next generation. We don't own the planet either. And this concept of everything is borrowed. It even applies to culture. You know, we teach our children our way of life, how we view the world, what our values are, what art and beauty are. And then hopefully our children have children and they do the same thing, right? That's how cultures perpetuate itself. Now, culture is one of those things that is very unique to humans, although we're not truly the only species that has culture. There's evidence of different uh, whale or cetacean species having culture, or even other primates. I've even heard prairie dogs have culture. <laughs> so it's not a uniquely human phenomenon, but what sets human beings apart from the other animals on this planet is how sophisticated our cultures are, that our cultures are so vastly different that human beings from one population can't really connect and understand human beings from another population. That culture sets us apart and makes us different. And that creates division among our species. But I guess also, you know, when you hear people talking about culture wars or saying that, like, you know, these people are taking over the culture, that also comes from that false sense of ownership. No one person owns the culture. We all collectively can shape the culture, but the culture itself is in a constant state of flux, too because the people involved in the culture are not the same over time. We're constantly being replaced by a new generation of people or immigrants or whatever. So there is a sense of false ownership over culture that leads to culture wars, but also leads to cultural differences and lack of empathy between different groups of people or racial strife, what have you. These are all things that are shaped by culture, but it's important to recognize that no single person owns the culture. It's something that's a collective ownership, but also something that is passed down from one generation to the next. 
we have the ability to shape the culture into what we see as most beneficial for society in the time that we're on the earth. Inevitably, the day comes that we have to hand it to somebody else and hope that they took care of it better than we did, too. Just like the planet. Even knowledge is borrowed, right? Because every student has a teacher, but every teacher was at one point a student. There is that chain of student-teacher, student-teacher, student-teacher that uh, helps knowledge progress from one generation to the next. And then also, we have to hope that there are the people who can preserve knowledge, whether that is writing books or teaching others, making this podcast, <laughs> publishing books, uh, backing up hard drives, what have you. These are all things to ensure that knowledge isn't lost because knowledge is borrowed. It needs to be handed over to the next generation. And then, if you want to dive really deep into the spiritual ramifications of how everything is borrowed, this includes our own consciousness. So one of the aspects of Buddhism that distinguishes it from Hinduism is the concept of no-self, also known as anatta or anatman. That's Pali and Sanskrit, respectively. In Hinduism, there's the concept of Atman, that there is a universal, uh, eternal essence that living things have. Which, you know, Westerners would say that soul, it's a little bit of a simplification. But anyway, in Buddhism, it is no self. It is not a uh, eternal essence that gives people life. So another way to view this concept is that the spark of life that gives you awareness and consciousness, it isn't yours. You don't own it. It goes back to where it came from upon death. So even the soul itself, if you want to use that word. Buddhists tend to avoid using that word. But the soul itself isn't yours either because of the reincarnation cycle. So the awareness that gives you life, think of it kind of like uh, an ocean shore where it's ebbing and flowing. It's coming into existence and then going back to the source from where it came and then coming back into existence and going back to the source from where it came and so on and so on. It's this constant ebb and flow of awareness and cessation of awareness and awareness and cessation of awareness. So this false sense of ownership that the ego creates includes the sense of the soul being yours. Whatever it is that gives you life, that spark, it's not yours. It goes back to the source from where it came. And so, because everything comes from something else, that's also important here. Dependent origination, pratityat samutpada. 
everything comes from something else that came before it. So your consciousness does too. Your consciousness does not just spontaneously come into existence, you know, when you're X amount of months inside your mother's uterus. It is something that ebbs and flows. And it is something that is not yours. You don't own it. You give it back. You know, I've heard people say, you know, whatever the post-death state of awareness is, is the same as whatever the pre-birth state of awareness is. And, you know, these are questions that we can't truly answer because we're living right now. We can't really answer, you know, what happens upon death in that regard. But just using that same philosophical underpinning, it explains reincarnation too. It's that, you know, if everything is borrowed then so is awareness. Awareness is ours while we have it, and then it's no longer ours and we hand it back. Now, how does this concept of everything is borrowed teach ethics? I think with environmentalism, it's very easy to understand that uh, because of karma, our actions in life plant seeds, and then someday in the future, those seeds will bear fruit, whether they are fruit of goodness and happiness or whether they are fruit of bitterness, anger, and sadness. So our actions on this planet affect the planet, obviously, but if you do accept the concept of reincarnation, guess who faces the consequences of your actions in regard to the planet? You do. Guess who faces the actions in regards to what relationships you damage or the people that you hurt. You do. So this concept of everything is borrowed is also the moral imperative too. Because the day will come where you face the consequences for your actions, whether it happens in this life or whether it happens in 10,000 years from now. Because of reincarnation and the, uh, yeah, the cycle of reincarnation, you do inevitably face the consequences for your actions. It might not make sense, you know. Some of these karmic seeds that bear fruit in this lifetime that cause us suffering in this lifetime, sometimes those came from things that happened a thousand years prior. You know, something that happened thousands of years ago has consequences in this moment today. I think the state of the world, where world peace is really tenuous, you know, a lot of these conflicts are from conflicts that happened decades or even centuries ago that haven't fully been addressed. We haven't tried to purify the karma of past evil deeds, and those actions have borne fruit of resentment and hostility and anger and violence. And we have to work towards purifying that karma. So that's why this concept's so important. Now, how does everything is borrowed teach humility? Which I guess I've already dealt with a little bit in here. You know, nothing is owned. 
every single thing that you think you own, whether that is your body, your material possessions, your own sense of awareness, they're not yours. You give them back from where you got them. You hand them over to the next generation. So it creates that moral imperative because you have to take care of the relationships in your life, of the planet itself. You have to take care of your body. You have to take care of your loved ones, your family. And then, you know, hopefully your actions in this life bear fruit that are good. And that someday when those seeds bear fruit, they are fruit of goodness, of happiness, of peace, of the end of suffering, not the continuation of suffering. And also the awareness that, you know, nothing is truly yours, it instills the sense of humility because you recognize at that point that ownership is a falsehood, that people who do reinforce a false sense of ownership are people who rule from ego and selfishness and greed. And the way to purify that karma is through good deeds. It is not through uh, continuing bad deeds or continuing cycles of harm. It's through good stewardship, and good action, right action, and being aware. All right, that's a lot to digest in this episode, but it's, it's such a fascinating concept. And the more you delve into it, the more you realize it expands and expands and expands and has more and more repercussions. So I hope this episode was beneficial to people, and I will see you all soon. If you wish to contact me directly or have your question featured in a future episode of the podcast, you can send me an email at tqrpodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram, tqrpodcast, or my personal Instagram, Ricky Dementia. That's R-I-K-I Dementia. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, signing off.